there's like a song that I've been listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered, and it's like one part's like, "Do you take sugar in your coffee? You take honey in your tea?" Yeah, and clearly as beautiful as I sounded right there, <laughs> that's all I can think about now when I put sugar in this. Literally, like, is it like a country song that feels like country words? <laughs> like that feels like. Yeah, I don't know. I did karaoke in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I love that you went along with that. Welcome back to another episode of Sometimes Shibata Slaps. I'm Mac. I'm Jubes. And today is book club, baby. Yay. We are very excited about this book club. Mm-hmm. Um because it's The Inflamed Mind by Edward Bulmore, and it's all about inflammation's um, interaction with depression. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And it's very, very much up what I'm, my alley and what I'm interested in. Definitely. So. It's my favorite book we've read so far. Ooh, so we'll get into uh, so, it. Yeah. Um, catch up. My voice is a bit better. Yay. It's not great. It's good, though. <laughs> it's uh, less, um, it won't cut out. Mm-hmm. It yeah. sounds stronger. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Exactly. Yeah. And then last yeah. night, so one of my best friends is getting married in June. Mm-hmm. And last night she sends a group message to a bunch of like family and friends saying like, oh, if you have any photos of me and her fiance, mm-hmm. can you send them to me? I've been friends with her for 14 years. <laughs> yeah. I know. I saw her post and I was like, I'm so ready for this yeah. <laughs> it's like Michaela has receipts yeah 14 years of friendship okay yeah so I was like you want everything and she said yeah give me everything oh my goodness and I was like okay so as I'm going through my photos on my computer um all the ones that I deemed like appropriate for family <laughs> and like good enough quality to share because we just have so many just like random shit photos yeah um 350 photos Holy cow. 350 photos. Yeah, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Put that in Google Drive, sent it off to her. Amazing. So I was like, you want everything? Yeah, like all of it? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's what we did for that. And that's just like on my computer. Like that's not on my phone in like recent mm-hmm. photos. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's sweet. So. <laughs> that's sweet. Because yeah, when I saw that post... Is she just doing that for their bridal shower, or is she doing that for their wedding, the wedding. too? They're going to do a slideshow and just have a slideshow going. Oh, okay, okay. Of, like, yeah, of both of them. Yeah. Like, doesn't matter what age. And I'm like, Ben, I have our nice. first selfie we've ever taken together, and I have our last selfie we've ever taken together. That's so sick. Because we had, like, I played with I, or photo booth, sorry, on mm-hmm. my family's first Mac desktop that we got when we moved. Yeah. Here. That's sweet. So I was, like, 2007 yeah. selfie. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's sweet. So, 85% of her slideshow is going to be (laughs) selfies of us from the ages of like nine Mm -hmm. until 25. Yep, that's fine. Because we were definitely born in the era of like recording and taking pictures of everything. Everything. Like, I am terrified for my wedding because I've got some embarrassing footage out there. Well, and I didn't even like go through the bad like Snapchat photos. (laughs) 
That's not even the embarrassing. No. Oh, no. I didn't even add those ones in. We have the ones where you, like, like the Snapchat era where you doodle over everything. Right. And I have one of her with, she chose, like, the brightest blue color she could. Yeah. And she did it on her eyes, and she wrote, I'm Nash Greer. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Throwback to Vine. I love that. I have that one. I did incorporate one of our face swaps. Oh, good. That's fun. It's a funny one. Yeah, no doubt. I also have a video. I didn't. I didn't send all the videos. I sent three. But if she wants more videos, I've got plenty. Plenty. You know who you are. <laughs> Reach out to me. <laughs> but there's a video of us singing in her bedroom to You Got a Friend in Me. And she's walking around with a, with a mannequin head on her head. Because she took cosmetology. <laughs> and she's going, you've got a friend in me. Just like swinging with this mannequin head on her head. I love it. And I'm like, my arm is like wrapped around behind my head. And I'm like snapping. And That's along. amazing. And we just look bonkers. No kidding. So I've got... I, I did incorporate a video of her singing along... I can't remember what song is in the video right now, but she has like a blanket over her head, so she looks like a ghost. Oh yeah, and she's like twerking as a ghost oh, nice. in this blanket. <laughs> That's gonna be a good one. So I have that one on there. Yeah, but that's yeah. sweet. She's smart in um that she's compiling the slideshow no. versus allowing other people to compile the slideshow. She said she's not going to incorporate all of them. I'm like rude. Yeah, that's kind of mean. I just. Source 350 <laughs> photos for you. Are you about to put them all in? I just did your whole slideshow. Rude. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. Like, hello. I'm maid of honor, so. Sweating about me, too. B&M obviously stands for Michaela. I'm obviously, <laughs> obviously. the M in this relationship. <laughs> Get it together. <laughs> Duh. Oh, my goodness. No, I'm excited to see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Journey will be there. I'm Michaela's plus one. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, same friend. She, because I'm not seeing anyone, and I didn't give her, like, like oh, I'm dating so-and-so. Like, I didn't yeah. give her any of that. And so she goes, and she's like, yeah, Journey's, I mean, Journey, you're plus one, because I really want her there. <laughs> I was like, decent. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah, we love good. that. Works for me. Yeah. And then, like, on the invitation, it was like, Michaela and Journey. Yeah. I was like, ah, adorable. <laughs> Michaela and Journey slaps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. You have to bring our son Simon Terry. Simon, no, kid free. I'm. Mm, I don't right want a baby. Yeah, it is a kid free. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Yeah, Simon Terry, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stay home with Papa Bruce. <laughs> oh, I love that. Do you have any stuff, tubes? Um, not really. Um, Jubes is gonna make granola. Yes, I'm making, my grandma had, has a recipe for a super, super yummy granola, so I'm going to make that, which I'm pretty excited about, because it is to Mm -hmm. die for. You're in your food prep era. I'm in my food prep era. I love it. So, hopefully that goes good. I, like, went to the grocery store, and I just bought, like, veggie stuff, and I was, Mm -hmm. like, sick. Yeah. So, I realized I forgot, like, lots of things, but, Mm -hmm. hey, (laughs) what can you do? And I want to know your update on your, the scary yogurt when you, Mm -hmm. when you can try it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Well, I'm like... Dude, it's coffee flavored yogurt. Like that. Have you never had that before? Mm-mm. Oh, I, it's no, good. I've never seen that. It's uh, yeah, interesting. It's if you drink it like you think you're gonna have a latte, it's not gonna taste like a latte. Yeah, I feel like it tastes a little bit sweeter. It tastes like an iced coffee more. Okay, more so. I feel like I'm not gonna hate or like it. Like a coffee ice cream. Well, I like that it's like oh, coffee ice cream. 
that's exactly what I want. It's yeah. like, um, there's a gelato restaurant in Belize. Why oh, go there and I get like their cappuccino gelato or whatever? Mm, Deadly, yeah. so good. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love coffee flavored ice cream. Is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Aka just like me, just like blended coffee, literally <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> Um, just make me a frappuccino. Well, I'm learning that I really only like cream in the coffee. Like, I just like the cream. Like, I'm not going to drink, like, a cup of cream, so I'll put, like, coffee in it. But that's mostly why I like coffee. That's so funny. Which is, yeah. That's, like, 95% of the people who come to the coffee shop. Well, I mean, like, sometimes coffee's gross. But cream is well, always the- good. <laughs> <laughs> Always in its expiration date. Always, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a window. There's a stretch, and but then there's in also that window, times where just like cream just like gives you the shits, and that's not always good. <laughs> well, so does coffee, though, right? Like, not sometimes. It's it is a stimulator, but yeah, I don't I don't get the same Some, effects. Yeah, I never really had like the coffee makes me need to go pee really like it's di- immediately. It's a diuretic. That makes sense, but it never. I never got the coffee shits. I used to. And then I fixed my gut, and now I don't. Someone told me that the reason you get, like, coffee poops is because there's blended cockroach in the coffee beans. And it's the reaction to the cockroach that's making you... So if you don't get the coffee shits, then there's no cockroach in your beans. But if you do, then there's, like, a lot of cockroach. I do not know how true this is. I don't. I feel like that's not. I feel like it's I, not. I feel like it's not totally untrue because I definitely feel like there are bugs that get mm-hmm. into the roasting process. There's yeah, no way. Like if spider legs are in chocolate bars and things like that, there's no way that yeah. it's completely contaminant free or bug free. Yeah, but no, it's just like a stimulant, and so that's why. Yeah. So weird. I just I've choose never cockroach free coffee. I guess so. Yeah, go yeah, fair trade, organic, cockroach-free. I'm really, free. like, anti-animal cruelty, mm. animal testing. Yeah. I don't we- like cockroaches in my coffee. <laughs> That's just unfair to the roaches. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've never seen a real-life cockroach in my entire life before. <laughs> my favorite thing to do is to compare people to cockroaches. In what sense? Like, hard to kill? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just got, like, nine lives. I, Honestly, yes, I do have a cockroach friend. I can't remember who I was just referring that to, but I was talking to my parents about someone, and mm-hmm. I said they're like a cockroach. They just won't. And die. My parents were just like <laughs> shook. It's like that's not how you describe a human ever. Yeah, you know, but that's so fun. Yeah, just like invincible. Yeah, literally, like that person can get lit on fire and they wouldn't die. Like they'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my like gosh. A cockroach. <laughs> that makes so. Spencer's a cockroach. <laughs> Spenny is a cockroach, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> he, just, he prefers the term immortal, but... <laughs> Same thing. They're synonyms. They're synonyms. <laughs> for the sake of this story. <laughs> he also makes you shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's hope he doesn't listen to this one. <laughs> or do. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're not going to make it in. We've talked about cockroaches for five minutes. <laughs> they're not listening. Penny, if you, if you hear this, this is your free cash and you can come on an episode. Yeah. We wanna, we'd like to interview a cockroach. <laughs> I guess we'll get into book club. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to talk about depression. Yeah. <laughs> and inflammation in regards to depression. Woo. So yeah, as we talked about and said 500 times before already, um... The Inflamed Mind by Edward Bulmore. 
So it was written in 2018. And what I love about it is that it's chock full of studies Mm -hmm. um, that are primarily within the the past decade. Yeah, they're very recent studies. Yeah. And so, like, for reference, like, the book is 220 pages long. And there's, like, 10 pages of sources. Yeah, I love that. So in typical book club format, we'll just kind of go through the chapters and talk about what we liked, didn't like, found interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just to kind of like preface, like the focus of this book is on immunopsychiatry and how the immune system and nervous system interact and how inflammation of the body can cause mental symptoms like depression. It's looking at only one of the causes of depression. Yeah. This isn't like a be all end all answer. And we're not trying to say that if you have depression, you're just inflamed and like there's not something else going on. Like we're not trying to invalidate anyone else's experiences with depression. Yeah. Where he's just written a really good book that kind of talks about another thing that could play a role in depression. Well, and so the author himself, Edward, he um, was a medical doctor. He went to school like in the 80s Mm -hmm. for medicine. And he did some immunity focus work. Yeah. Right? And then then he's now has switched into um, psychiatry. Yeah. And so in his experience, he's what got him to write the book initially was meeting patients and saying that these SSRIs are going to help your depression. And they're like, this one guy questioned, how do you know? Yeah. Like, how do you know that I need an SSRI for my depression? You've done nothing to tell me that, right? Like, there's been nothing. Yeah. yeah. And so that planted the seed in... Edward's brain, and I love how you see the author's like first well, name. First name basis with Mr. Eddie over here. Okay, but what do you say, Edward or Mr. Bullmore? Um, Edward. He looks really Doctor. friendly in the back of his oh, in yeah. the leaf because I checked out. He has a ton of a ton of letters do, after do his say, name. Do they say all here? Or do they say what? Do they say all of his letters there? Is yeah. Just- so Professor Edward Bullmore, MB, PhD, FRCP, FRCP Psych. F Med Sci, trained in medicine at the University of Oxford and then at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London before specializing in psychiatry at the Bethlehem Royal and Maudsley Hospital and learning clinical science at the Institute of Psychiatry, King's College, London. Yeah. So. So he's British. Yeah. <laughs> this is a UK focused book, but the principles are still the same and the principles are what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And that's what the whole gut brain connection that is coming up now. Yeah. Um. And it's like I read I read this book and I got so excited because it's just one step closer for nutritional psychology to become a focus. And then I'm like, boom, that's what I. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Because a lot of the things that got him like down this path was that he had like a patient with like rheumatoid arthritis and she was like, oh, like I'm feeling depressed or whatever. And like he told another doctor kind of be like, why aren't we looking into this? He's like, well, you'd be depressed, too, like, if you were always in pain, like, duh, like, that's yeah. just how that goes. Yeah. And so he's kind of looking at blending the medicine and this, like, psychology because they're so divided right now. It's either, like, a problem that medicine can solve or a problem that psychology can solve. Like, there's no common ground in between. And so yeah. that's kind of what he's looking for. Yeah. And even, I mean, um, my my personal opinion, I even think the blend of East and West mm-hmm. is so necessary for... It really is, yeah. Because you can't say, um, like, I'm not under the, under the impression of, like, okay, just eat 20 pounds of garlic and you nev- never need another antibiotic in, in mm-hmm. your life. Well, yeah. no, you, like, there's time and place for antibiotics and there's time and place for medications for mental health symptoms. But yeah. how much of that can be alleviated and how much by just, like, nutrition alone and inflammation in this case? Exactly, yeah. 
right? Yeah, what are the numbers and who who would benefit more from a lifestyle change versus an actual physical medication? Exactly. And that's kind of, that's what I liked because towards the end of the book, that's what he started talking about was like, how do we, because you need to make this like almost individual for each patient because each patient is different. They yeah. each have like their separate background or whatever. So like. Well, your genetics and your gene expressions and what exactly things have gone on in your life that trigger certain genes. And now they're now that's a relevant thing of your life and mm-hmm. how much of it's just like a hidden thing that might never actually get like activated. Exactly. Or like how much of it is like nutritional thing or like yeah. like. Yeah. So he was just kind of like we need to make this so patient focused, but it's so hard to have individual diagnoses kind of like for individual people because Mm -hmm. we don't know enough yet like there's we're still at the very beginning of this research because we think we solved it with the limited amount of like antidepressants that we have on the market now they're like yeah we're done we're good yeah but he's like no 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 like we still don't know why we still don't know where this is coming from why people have depression like what's going on yeah so and so yeah what we're talking about basically wraps up what chapter one is for the book yeah um one thing that he mentioned like a a statistic that he shared that i thought was really interesting is that depression is on track to be the biggest global disability by 2030 that was a terrifying statistic but like but it's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) like there's been so much of just like between burnout and like we talk about like um millennials and like blah 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 blah, generational trauma and all that fun stuff and then gen z and like whatever like mm-hmm. you see it as a trend now yeah well and then so even yeah in our recent like past couple of years you go through a pandemic you put install instill fear in everyone mm-hmm. everyone's freaking out you, you locked them in the their homes down. for three years yeah so now they don't want to socialize yeah and then now because everything just like stopped we're in so much debt Literally. So now if you want to buy a home and have a career and keep your head above water, you're struggling. Like it's it's hard to do. It's yeah, and if you weren't set up beforehand, right? Like if you had a career and you're able to work through and you're set, mm-hmm. then you're you're good. Yeah. You're not great, but But you're better you're good. than the average, right? Yeah. Like the homelessness that's going on right now is absolutely insane. Like the housing crisis is wild. And the food crisis, right? Yeah, and exactly. so what's available for purchase mm-hmm. are those highly processed, chemical filled foods that yeah. cost two dollars yeah because everything in the grocery store is obscenely expensive yeah and even in the uk they had that whole like they're charging so much for heat in order to like um they don't want you to use heat as much to save the environment mm-hmm. dude it's the middle of fucking winter they need heat yeah. so there's people who like can't afford to heat their homes because we've just went through a pandemic yeah and now they're like no you actually can't heat your home right now and so it was back to this was written in 2018 mm-hmm. the world shut down in 2020 mm-hmm. and the statistic was for 2030 yeah well, i'm sure like, it's at on. least 2025 now come on like there's like, no way so yeah mm-hmm. and then like as dirty said earlier he goes into his patient that he calls mrs p yeah who yeah had rheumatoid arthritis um and was very depressed and his doctor friend was just like well, no duh you're yeah. depressed you have an autoimmune disease like that sucks yeah another thing from the first chapter that he kind of brings about for the rest of the book is um how depression how the fact that we still have impression depression means that it was naturally selected for throughout mm. evolution yeah and so he's like what what is the like benefit to having depression like why was that something we evolved into like why did we continue to choose that well it's a survival thing right because if you're not afraid of anything and if you have no Mm -hmm. fear i know depression 
isn't always fearful, right? Mm. Yeah, it's not always fear fear driven, but like yeah. it keeps you like um stable and in one place and like you rest. Yeah. And things like that. But yeah, it's just weird because it's it like, also leads to more undesirable things. <laughs> literally, yeah, like it's, it can be so bad. So it's like, why is this something that we didn't chose? Yeah. <laughs> like that genetically Yeah, that we've naturally selected for. Not that anyone like chooses to be depressed, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, today? Today seems like a depression day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me just, like... It was good, and then I got, like... inflamed. Literally. <laughs> That's how I felt um, Tuesday. I was like, it just feels like a rainy day. I just want to curl up by the fire and have some tea. Aw. He starts bringing up the concepts of neuroimmunology and immunopsychiatry. Mm-hmm. Or as what I've talked about before, psychoneuroimmunology. It's all the yeah. same principles. Um... And this concept was first criticized by the medical community mm-hmm. for his quote unquote is for being disrespectful to the philosophical underpinnings of scientific medicine. Yeah. To com- to compare the brain and the immune system. And I was like, what the heck? Because kind of common is that? Literally. Science is constantly trying to disprove itself. Is No. Like, is that yeah, not that's the whole literally principle? the whole scientific theory? Yeah. Like, so why wouldn't, why would you say it's disrespectful to the principles of medicine well and that's one thing that i loved about this book was that he talked about like how the like western medicine system evolved yeah like he talked about um in his time right descartes and celsus and yeah um someone else but like all the big players and how they've like made it so that this is what it looks like how there's that divide between mind and body yeah basically but it's they're interconnected there isn't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i don't understand like how can yeah, yeah whatever so then to kind of lead into what he's going to talk about later on he then talks about um how cytokines which are an inflammatory protein um can send inflammatory signals across the blood-brain barrier to the mind and mm-hmm. that is what the whole principle of the inflamed mind comes yeah. from and there's study um associated with it to link inflammation and depression yeah because previously it was not believed that things could cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, well, cytokines, yeah, like the inflammatory like, proteins. Like, yeah, like anything. Yeah. Like when science mm. first started or whatever, they were like, nothing crosses the b- blood-brain barrier. Like it is a barrier. Nothing gets crossed there. And now they're kind of like, what? The brain has to communicate with the body somehow. Yeah. Right. Like it's not a one-way road. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. So fun. So that's chapter one. Yeah. So chapter two is like the workings of the immune system. So that's when he gets into like the nitty gritty of the immune response. Mm -hmm. And this is all very similar to what we kind of mentioned in our nervous system regulation episode, where it Mm -hmm. just talks a lot about nerve cells and white blood cells and endothelial cells and how inflammation is what the immune system uses to protect us from the non-self or antigens. Yeah. He does a really good job making sure that you as the reader have all of the knowledge of all the things that you need to know in order to understand what he's talking about. And there's pictures. And there is pictures. He does have illustrations, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You're a visual learner. He has some diagrams about how these processes work. Yeah, definitely. He talks about, like, some of the key ingredients to, like, the immune system's efficiency. Um, He gives you, like, the history of inflammation, like, what we used to think about it, like, bloodletting and all that fun stuff. Yeah. And then how it's kind of evolved into what we know now, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. And how any and then he talks about inflammation, just like 
what it is, like what inflammation looks like in your body yeah, and how it can cause changes in how the brain works, which can cause changes in mood, cognition and behavior yeah. that we recognize as depression. So like, why don't we believe that they're linked? Right. Well, like, if, if inflammation again, like low grade systemic inflammation is one of the number one causes for heart disease. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that the brain is immune to that. Literally. If your heart is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, come on. Yeah. And it was kind of difficult to like for me to wrap my brain around like um, what inflammation of the brain looks like because you can see like, oh, your cat scratches you. You're like red and inflamed or whatever. But it's hard to visualize that like in your brain. It's like, well, what is that like? Right. But How does toothpaste inflame? Literally. It's like, I don't understand. <laughs> but it's like if you didn't know the reference, one of our First episodes, Journey explained that the brain is the consistency of toothpaste. Yes, exactly. How do you inflame toothpaste? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. So it was kind of, it was beneficial for me for him to point it out. Like, this is what it can look like. It doesn't have to be in the brain. It can be literally anywhere else, right? And that's what's going to cause those cytokine proteins to go through your blood-brain barrier and fuck you up a little. Yeah. And so inflammation as a whole is first attributed to um, the Roman physician Celsus. Mm-hmm. So he's the first one to call inflammation a syndrome. Yep. And then he kind of talks about tetanus and like he studied tetanus. Tetanus sounds like my nightmare, honestly. Yeah. Like locked up. Oh my gosh. Never being able to consume food. <laughs> oh, a nightmare. Well, wouldn't you die pretty quickly though once you get tetanus? Like, yeah. Well, because you can't, but like, yeah. To, to feel your jaw seize up. Yeah, nightmare. no, thank you. Nightmare fuel. That's yeah. like my, that's my biggest fear is tennis. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I do not mess around with rusty anything for mm-hmm. that reason. No, thank you. Um, and then this fact that I thought was interesting um, that he talks about is that the biological war between people and bacteria started with Homo sapiens 150,000 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Which. That's a vague statistic. No. That's like. I know. The the biological war between humans and germs started with humans. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but prior to Homo sapiens, right? Mm-hmm. Why wasn't there any biological problems then? Well, we don't know. We don't have enough of the uh, evolutional record in order yeah. to know. Like, we're still discovering mm-hmm. certain, like, genus yeah. of humans, right? Like, they just discovered a whole brand new one. Yeah. And they just re yeah, anyway. So I always pick your anthropo- anthropological brain about that because I took one bioanth class and I hated it. I love it. It's so interesting. It's so Ugh. cool to see all like the different humans. It's really boring at the beginning where they like go into like monkeys and apes, but once that they was get- my entire class. Ugh, rip. That was four months of <laughs> learning about different monkey skulls from mm-hmm. way back when and I was like, I'm done. I'm so bored of this. Yeah, once they get down to, like, the ancient hominin hominid kind of area, that's when it gets really interesting. So why was there no bacteria warfare then, or do we just not know about it? I feel like we just don't know. Like, there's there's no way that there wasn't. Yeah. Right? Like, but now we can, like, classify it and we can see it, because Homo sapiens we know the most about. Yeah, like we're the still most, the most biologically similar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, herpes started because um, I was either like a Neanderthal or Homo erectus had sex with a chimpanzee. That's how we got herpes. <laughs> so it's like there's so then why? But then so then we start with Neanderthals 
Were Homo sapiens before Neanderthals? Nor like around the same time, kind of. Like some of us have like Neanderthal ancestors. Yeah. But like they're But Neanderthals aren't Homo sapiens. No, right? they're just a little bit different. <laughs> they're like bigger tested and like different they've got different bone structure and stuff. Well their forehead. Mm-hmm. Really and lower. their like faces are different, yeah. 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 But, Interesting. Like I noticed that in their, in their brow bone, sometimes like a really mm-hmm, heavy brow they've bone. They've got yeah, they're really thick. They they're just like bigger boned kind of. But yeah. Side complete side <laughs> comment. We're talking about ge- genetics. I went to my um uh dentist, dental hygienist, like a few like uh the other day, other week. Mm-hmm. And when she was like cleaning my teeth, she's like my number one fan. Yeah. For whatever reason. Um but we talked about how I only had one um, wisdom tooth. And she's like, do you know you're like in the top 20% evolved people of the world? Mm-hmm. She's like, that's a flex. I would say I'm the top 20% evolved all the time if I were you. And she's yep. like, and you have, or you're not prone to cavities and you have no plaque on your teeth. You're just like perfect. And I'm like, and I have green eyes. And she's like, oh, amazing. Wow. She's like, you are like a top tier human. I'm like, thank you for gassing me up. <laughs> thank like, you so much. You gotta stop. My ego is gonna be way too big at the end of this. <laughs> well, yeah, that's something really interesting yeah. that I learned in one of my anthropology classes is that our jaws are actually evolving so that we don't have wisdom teeth. Yeah. Because we don't need them anymore. Like, we're yeah. not eating the kinds of foods that we need wisdom teeth for. And you're not losing teeth as regularly as you did, so you don't mm-hmm. have them to back up. Yeah. I'm gonna double check my herpes stats and put it in this video. But yeah, it was because they had like sex with a cham- chimpanzee and like that's how that started. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're welcome. So there was germs before Homo sapiens. Yeah. We just know the most about Homo sapiens because that's that's why I found that interesting. Us. I was like, I need to yeah to pick your brain about it. <laughs> all right. And so chapter is that all? You, did you have any more? For chapter no, two? that was yeah. pretty much it for chapter two. Yeah. So chapter three titled "Hiding in Plain Sight," and this is when he kind of goes back into the philosophy or like. um early medicine philosophers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it starts with like um, Descartes. Descartes. I always pronounced it Descartes in my head. Descartes. That's, you're probably right. No idea if that's correct. <laughs> I don't know. Let's maybe Google that. Descartes. Descartes. Yeah. So he brought the principle of Cartesian dualism, mm-hmm. which is like two things in the world, two domains of experience, outer and inner. And so... um. Eddie, Eddie boy, he, <laughs> my boy, Ed, <laughs> my buddy, Ed, he then uses Cartesian dualism, um, examples a lot because mm-hmm. it is very prominent in medicine or how medicine is formatted now. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, um, not proficient, but like you see it a lot in the Western medicine. It's the whole separation of mind and body. Like, yeah, there are two different Cartesian planes pretty mm-hmm. much. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so Descartes was a mathematician and philosopher. Mm-hmm. He was not a medical professional. Yeah. So it's mind-boggling to me that his ideas are the basis for modern medicine. Yeah. Because I'm like, dude. Well, this goes back to Pythagoras. Well, that's true. How can you create the Pythagorean theorem and then just brush off angel numbers and then as just suicides? Be numerology, yeah. Right? How can Descartes bring, what up, did he bring do? up Cartesian dualism? But then... Now, all of a sudden, that's the only reason why we're not studying the gut-brain connection. Like, come on. Like, why? Yeah. Or what? I have... If anyone knows a Roman Empire that could, like, come on the podcast, I want to pick their brain. (laughs) It's 
someone just bring up? <laughs> we could resurrect some. Yeah, because like I got bone to pick with Descartes and Pythagoras and literally Caesar, all of them. Yeah, because Descartes' kind of thing um, was the dream versus waking world realization that he had, and so his kind of basis was I think, therefore I am. Yeah, which. I think too hard about that, and I don't understand what it means. Mm-hmm. Well, but Descartes he also like labeled the pineal gland as the home of the soul because it's mobile. Yeah, and the pineal gland is like the god within the machine. Yeah, so that's really just indicating that your brain is so separate from your body. Yeah. Oh, his. I think. I think. Therefore, I am. Was that he was dreaming, and he was like. How can I, how do I know what's a dream versus what's real? Yeah. So he's like, I think, therefore I am. So whatever I think must be true kind of thing. That's a Billie Billie Eilish, but that one of her songs. (laughs) I think, therefore I am? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. She was talking about someone with an ego. (laughs) You think that you're the man, I think, so therefore I am. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) That's kind of badass. (laughs) Um... And then I have just, like, a quote here that I'm assuming Descartes said was, like, um, we have also learned that inflammation and autoimmunity are involved in many disorders that were traditionally considered to have nothing to do with the immune system. Okay, so, no, that was written by Eddie. Um, Eddie boy. But, like, it makes sense, right? Like, we're learning every day that our immune system has a larger part in our body. Yeah. So why are we ignoring the fact that it might... Or not looking at the fact that it might have something to do with your brain. Yeah. And so then he brings up studies about how um, cytokines and other inflammatory proteins are more concentrated in the blood of patients like Mrs. P, who has the autoimmune like rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. But to talk about that is career damaging territory for him. And that makes me so sad because why aren't you actively seeking for a solution? Literally. Like, if this is a possibility, why isn't there more, like, exploration? Like, I understand to prescribe something like any form of, like, NSAIDs, mm-hmm. like um, uh, aspirin and ibuprofen. Yeah. Well, you don't know the effects on it exactly, right? So just start prescribing things that are anti-inflammatories. Yeah. Medications. I get why you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Why isn't that an exploration? Why aren't you like, oh, there are some studies coming out saying that inflammation can contribute to this. Yeah. Have you tried... Consuming more antioxidants in your diet. Yeah, exactly. Consuming more th- uh, pro- um, foods like curcumin, which is has anti-inflammatory properties. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, why wouldn't you try to, like, deal with the inflammation? It's the whole thing where, like, the modern medicine system is dealing with the symptom, not the problem. Yeah. And so that's kind of what he's going into is, like... Yo, we can see the symptoms, but what is the problem? Let's go there. Like, dealing with the symptoms isn't enough. Yeah. Like, you need to go further. Yeah. But. He then brings up a study here that uh, monitored TNF, which is a tumor necrosis factor, Mm -hmm. which is a specific cytokine. So, an anti-TNF was predicted to fail, but in a 2002 study, it was shown to help rheumatoid arthritis. 79% of people responded to a high dose, 44% responded to a low dose, and 8% responded to a placebo, which is insane for a study like that. Yeah, literally. But why isn't that 
being looked into further as as regard to like inflammation because a cytokine is an inflammatory protein. Yeah. So if TNF is a specific cytokine, why is that connection not there? Yeah, exactly. Right. I like questions. Right. And like these are all the questions that he's asking too. It's yeah. like why we know what inflammation can cause. Why is this such a career ending jump for me? Right. Like yeah. why am I getting like laughed out of a job kind of thing? Yeah. Chapter four is Melancholia after Descartes. Um, is Descartes. Descartes. <laughs> Melancholia after Descartes. <laughs> oh, someone's name of my band. Um, <laughs> That's like, uh, oh, shoot. In, oh, which episode is it where we're talking about Mariana Trench? Oh, I the kept saying Mary, of the. Yeah, Earth. I kept saying Mariana's, which is the yeah. band. It's just Mariana Trench. Mariana, Mariana Trench. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. And I just kept saying Mariana's Trench. And so the entire time I'm talking That's about the, amazing. the deepest part of the ocean, but I'm saying the band's name. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Mariana Trench. That's funny. That yeah. sounds wrong. Right? Okay. Uh, veto that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Petition to rename the Mariana Trench. To add an S, literally, it, makes more sense. it just sounds better in my brain. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so this one kind of talks again, like um, what melancholy can look like after separation of mind and body. Again, like the bloodletting, um, talking about how like we've naturally selected depression, and that depression is even more medically ancient than inflammation, and we've known more about depression. Or we knew about depression before we knew about inflammation, but we didn't know, like, we called depression the melancholia. Yeah. But, yeah, you weren't, it wasn't labeled as depression. It was mm-hmm. labeled as, like, being, having, me, being melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm questioning every Melan- single one of my words. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So the inflammation was around the time of the Romans. Um, melancholia has been since the Greeks. That's what he said. So the school of Hippocrates. Hippocrates, 400 BC, and they brought up like two facets of of um, melancholia, and so it's called agnor anemi. I don't. If I'm saying it wrong, I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> Which is basically the agony of of the soul. So fear, despondency, doom, and gloom. Yeah. The cognitive deficits. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is pessimism, pessimism, and unrealistic beliefs. So basically, they distributed mel- like the concept of being like melancholic into two different forms of like depression right yeah so it's like is it unrealistic beliefs or is it like fear of the outside oh spicy fun yeah and back then um this is where the whole the concept of like the four cardinal humors came from mm-hmm. because they explained this physiologically by black bile and the spleen we now know that bile can't be black. Yeah. <laughs> um, but back then, bile was black, and that's why you had melancholy. Right. And so the concept of the four cardinal humors is there's different physiological excretions, right? So there's black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. And it's a di- they use it as a diagnostic like explanation for the appearance of diseases. So having too much phlegm um, was like, Caused apathy, which would cause chest disease. Mm. Having too much yellow or like regular bile, what bile is, yeah. <laughs> is mean you're, you're very angry and you're prone to liver diseases, mm. which 
That makes sense. sense yeah. Because the bile and like the liver, they're very, they're, they work together yeah. in digestion. But. And like when you have a liver disease, like your eyes go yellow, your skin goes a little bit yellow, like you're jaundiced. Yeah, exactly. So having too much blood means you're positive, but you're prone to heart disease. <laughs> How does one have too much blood? <laughs> and, <laughs> and too much black was melancholy. And so, as we know, black bile is non-existent, but yeah. that was the whole concept of, like, this diagnostic physiological treatment for mm-hmm. psychological expressions. Yeah. So. so Wild. But the inventor of the first psychological treatment was Freud. Our old buddy pal Freud. Oh, I love Freud. I find him just... Oh, he just tickles my brain. I love it. He's a little bit nutty. He's extremely nutty, oh, but-, but I love him. Yeah. I also like I I don't know a lot about him, so I learned most of it from this book because I really? didn't I didn't take that many psychology classes and oh, like I guess not I like I took one intro to psych and yeah. they like talked about Freud, but like because he's Freud, they're like we're not going to spend too much time on him because blah 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 whatever. Like they were focusing on other people. Dude, I, t- I every every single psychology class that I took in my degree, the intro Every single class mm-hmm. was, these are the lobes of the brain, these are the neurotransmitters, this is Freud. Yep. Every yep. single class. So <laughs> I know Freud. I love, yeah, I find him interesting. Yeah. Um, what I didn't know was that he could have been a really impressive neuroscientist, but he was Jewish, so he wasn't allowed to do it. Yeah. And I was like, cool. And I also didn't know that he started in neuroscience and then moved to psychology and, like, I hope the author doesn't get mad with this comparison, but that's kind of the same road that Edward took, was he started yeah. in medicine and then moved into psychology in order to find a way to mix them. Yeah. Okay. But. Um, yeah, so Freud's um, theory of, like, psychoanalysis was the first actual, like, psychological treatment. Yeah. And a lot of the basis of his um, diagnoses were like your relationship to your mother and or father yeah to your opposite sex parent yeah and yeah. almost everything that's wrong with you is like oh you're female you want to fuck your dad literally oh, you're male oh you want to fuck your mom and this is where the whole like oedipus complexes come into play mm-hmm. and, and like the um so that's where it's like off his rocker but yeah <laughs> but sometimes he there's yeah. something to it like yeah. he's not completely no irrelevant no very much um, so I really appreciated um, his cocaine use. I thought that was hilarious. Um, I liked how him and this one guy decided that because cocaine numbs your, like, nose and eyes, perhaps it could also numb your genitals. Mm -hmm. And so we're just going to do that as well. Like, we're just going to study that. Yeah. And all that came from, like, the process of, like, libidinal development. Yeah. And I'm just, it's just wild. He's, yeah, Roy's a character, but because he is, like, seen as, like, the father of psychology, it's... Mm-hmm. He did a lot. Yeah. We know a lot from him. Yeah. Um, one thing in this chapter that was really interesting to me was he goes into, he talks about tuberculosis and how they, like, found the drug that cured tuberculosis and how it was derived from a chemical that was used as rocket fuel for planes. In World War Two, <laughs> yeah. and we only got like access to it because we like like if we had lost World War Two, we wouldn't have the cure for tuberculosis. Yeah, which is like 
bonkers. And it's also like, this drug is also one of the first antidepressants because they gave the drug to a tuberculosis patient and they immediately cheered up. And so like there was this, um, not, they had like a word for it. Um, and so like some doctors thought that there was an effect on the brain from this drug that could help like quote unquote cure depression. So they were like, so that's kind of what got them started down the whole like finding, making an antidepressant kind of thing. Yeah. Which is wild. In this chapter, he also, again, goes back to more historians and stuff. Mm-hmm. But do you say Paracelsus or how do you say? How I say Paracelsus. Paracelsus, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he absolutely roasts Paracelsus. Mm-hmm. And if Paracelsus was like the um, father of pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Okay, so Something like that. He's you know? Big Daddy Pharma. Yeah, he... He was, like, one of the guys that first brought pharmaceuticals into Yes, he started doing, like, herbs and, like, a whole bunch of stuff, and then he got discredited or whatever. Well, he came, yeah, his his father was an herbalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he, whatnot. But on on page 89 of this book, he's describing Paracelsus, and it starts with, Paracelsus was neither pretty nor manly looking. (laughs) He never (laughs) married, and he couldn't grow a beard. It is said that he might have suffered a nasty case of mumps before puberty, which infected and destroyed his testes. <laughs> his personal motto inscribed on the border of this image was definitely self-assertive. Let no man belong to another who can belong to himself. <laughs> so, he just roasts his like. Could you imagine, like... You're dead. You, like, look down from the heavens, and you just see this author writing, he was neither pretty nor manly enough, and you're just like, what did I ever do to you to deserve being described like that? <laughs> and for reference, like, Paracelsus in this image, he looks like the uh, the actor from, like, The Princess Bride. The bald guy yeah. with the... Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what his name is. But he looks like him, like, in this... In this photo, Wallace Shawn. Oh, really? He looks like Wallace Shawn. Okay, that tracks. Tell me I'm wrong. No, we'll put it. We'll put it, <laughs> we'll put it up. Comparison in the YouTube video. Oh, that's not who I was thinking of, but 100 percent yes, <laughs> yes, I love it. I'll put the images up on our YouTube video. Oh my gosh, <laughs> maybe we'll put it on our Instagram as well. That's amazing. But I just I, that was the intro to like talking about what this guy did for pharmaceuticals and it was hilarious to me. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, so I have this, like, a couple more points on this one is that in the 1950s they were still thinking of, like, the body as a machine and, like, separating the, like, the mind versus body kind of thing, which I feel like is way too recent to be thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, um, In order to get a diagnosis for depression, you cannot have any other physiological medical conditions. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Part of the DSM. Like, the requirements. I was like, I didn't know that. I was like, that's actually bonkers. So, like, even if Mrs. P had gone to the doctor and been like, oh, I would like to get diagnosed with depression or, like, I would like to seek this, they'd be like, oh, well, you have rheumatoid arthritis, so you don't have depression. Yeah. Two things can be true at the same time. Well, this is why like, we're at the DSM-5 now. Like, that's why the DSM has been revised mm-hmm. many times. Because there's, as we are learning about psychology, you're learning about different, like... Yeah. Um, 
things that are depression and wow, what my words, my brain. I know what you're trying to say. Different symptoms relate to different things, and the way they um, express themselves in people is varied. Yeah. So hysteria used to be a DSM Mm -hmm. like disorder. Just because, and it literally was a woman who didn't want to do womanly duties. I love how they cured hysteria. (laughs) 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 You guys don't know. (laughs) Women would go to the doctor complaining of hysteria and the doctor would manually masturbate them. (laughs) And all they needed, all a hysterical woman needs is an orgasm. (laughs) And honestly... That just feels true. <laughs> we could solve a lot of problems. I don't want to be manually <laughs> masturbated by no, my doctor. I'm yes. I'm not, <laughs> that's probably the worst part about that. But it's like... <laughs> I'll pass on that one. Thank Gross. you so much, Jordan. No, thank you. But you know what you mean? Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, really. It's like... All she needs is to be appreciated and have an orgasm, and she's done. Hysteria is done. (laughs) Hysteria is gone. No. Um, Yeah, but, like, I feel like by saying that you can't diagnose it as depression without another medical condition, you're kind of admitting to the fact that inflammation plays a role. Yeah. Like, I feel like that rule wouldn't be in place. Yeah. If it, yeah. Yeah. Um. He kind of touches a little bit more on pharmaceuticals in this chapter, too. And so, like, with Paracelsus and continuing of him, um, Paracelsus and elements, and he introduced the elements instead of humors, right? So, he used mm-hmm. chemistry instead of humors. And, again, he was someone who came from um, his father, who was, like, an herbalist. And he was like, no, chemistry. Yeah. And so, what he used was sulfur, mercury, and salt. <sighs> and that was the first three elements for the start of pharma- uh, pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And so, they actually used, like mercury for syphilis yeah we were just talking about this weren't yeah, we yeah. yeah 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 and and then suddenly they realized like oh no mercury is actually like bad mercury for you in the bad blood for you but mm. they would like use it as um medical treatment and then this kind of merrick and roche uh started using chemistry over alchemy to manufacture drugs and that was like the first like pharmaceutical company that we know yeah Penicillin is like the first antibiotic to pharmaceuticals that was introduced in 1910. And then other drugs were tuberculosis, as we talked about in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Um, and then he touches on some a few other like philosophers, um, like Santiago Ramon y Cal, which is like the father of neuroscience. That's He's cool. a Spanish guy. And so he kind of focused more on how everything interacts like it, it, locally in the brain. Mm-hmm. And then Prozac was introduced for its effects of depression and that's the first and only effective yeah cure for depression that they have found thus far pretty much it's yeah the most effective for sure it's the one that's like the most commonly prescribed and yeah. used yeah this yeah i really enjoyed this chapter um because it talked about so mm-hmm. much and yeah it did talk more about like how he wants to kind of reduce the stigma around depression and by telling them that it's all in their mind you're kind mm-hmm. of making them have feelings of guilt and shame around their diagnosis that can lead to other like self-destructive mm-hmm. behaviors and it kind of just snowballs from there well and like with him he talks about like like SSR- he prescribes ssris which are serotonin like reuptake inhibitors mm-hmm. um but he then describes that there's no serotonin biomarkers that we can track in the mm-hmm. body like we can track biomarkers of inflammation through um cytokines yeah 
but there are no serotonin biomarkers because people, in order to do that, you have to do like a cerebral spinal fluid tap. Yeah. And that's too risky to do for studies. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's too difficult to get the, the bio, um, biomarkers. Exactly. Um, which, yeah, then that makes sense. So then how is the next chapter? Yeah. Yeah, because he also says there's been no major new advancements in drug treatment or psychological treatment for depression or any other mental mm-hmm. health disorder since 1990. So we've kind of stalled. And that's and that, he's that like with Prozac, the introduction of Prozac. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, how do we move on from here? Yeah. Which chapter five? <laughs> so on page 112, he links so many studies that connect the brain and body. Mm-hmm. And then there's like cytokine studies and he just kind of throws... All the information out is right here about yeah. what the principle of this book is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, uh, the experiment on page 118, um, it was kind of like, my brain was like, okay, but like, how do you know that? Like, did you look at all the factors? And then I went and read the study and I was like, they did. They actually did <laughs> look at all of the external factors that can contribute to the increased cytokine levels. And so this study was... Um, they measured cytokine levels in kids at, I think, age nine, mm-hmm. and then again at age 18, and the people who had high cytokine levels at age nine were more likely to have depression at age 18. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, but a lot can happen in those nine years. Like, those are pretty formative years. Yeah. Um, but they did actually account for family life, school, like, poverty, like, all of that kind of thing. And I was like, that was really affirming because this book challenges what our actual idea of depression is yeah and so i was kind of struggling as like okay well like yeah for sure like whatever yeah but then it was actually like okay no this study actually it did the work it looked at all the things it answered the right questions like well that's what i love about this book though because like someone like me who's this is my i'm trying to get into an imaginary field right now mm -hmm. right i'm already here i'm already with (laughs) edward i'm like yeah yeah this is it but for someone like you who is like still like okay back and forth kind of skeptical about like yeah where where are the facts right yeah so you're not just like jumping the train to like this is extreme let's go for it well, you know because I'm like yes I want to believe this 100 yeah. percent but I've gotten made fun of for believing this yeah so I'm like okay I need to have the answers prepared for when someone challenges why I believe in this yeah. so it was nice that he had the answers to the questions that people who would challenge us would ask. Yeah. And that's because it's, yeah, this is the science that Mm -hmm. we need. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. I just, I loved it. I think I'm going to reread this book actually pretty soon here. (laughs) But basically all these studies, um, all point to how like an inflammatory stimulus can cause depression. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then this brings up the topic of the inflammatory reflex, which happens to be mediated by the vagus nerve. As we've talked about the vagus nerve, it's huge for, like, relaxation responses. And it's just the messenger, like, all up your spine for your entire body. Yeah, it's the biggest nerve in your body. Yeah. And so the vagus um, picks up high cytokine signals and reflexively acts on macrophages in the spleen so that cytokines fall. And so um, it's like a negative feedback for homeostasis. Yeah. And so if that's what... Like we we know that your our nerves are actively trying to mediate it, but it, that's all, all showing that our brain isn't connected with our nerves as well. So mm-hmm. it can, all of that is interrelated. Exactly, and it was really really interesting 
Um, cause he d- brought in like more studies showing how stimulating the vagus nerve can turn off or on inflammation in specifically rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. which is so interesting. Those mm-hmm. studies that he brought in, mm-hmm. I was like, that's really sick. Cause is it, I might be thinking of a TikTok. Um, but there's like a point in your ear where you can like press on that, like stimulates your vagus nerve to like calm you down. Okay. There is a TikTok yes. like that, but I think he also talks about it in here. So he talks about the alderman's itch. Yes. Which, um, way back when, when all the, everyone was old and wore fancy pants and lived in castles. Yeah. Um, my favorite time. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> basically, I'm pretty sure it's the aldermen. Mm-hmm. Whatever. That sounds right. They weren't allowed to leave the table until the king head, whoever, um, was done eating. And so a lot of these people, like guys who would sit down and they would have struggles with digestion because they had to go to the bathroom so badly, but they weren't allowed to leave the table. Yeah. And so to relieve indigestion and um, to ease anxiety, you rub your auricle, which is a flexible collagen ridge in the shell-like outer ear just above the opening that allows sound into the ear. So it's basically kind of like in your conch area. Oh, okay. Because I've seen like... um and people have gotten piercings near there mm-hmm. that are like supposed to help with migraines. Yeah. That's and different so than what this is, but it, okay. it is all, it's all relating to the point of like acupressure and pressure points in the ears mm-hmm. that alleviate neurological or, um, yeah, neurological kind of yeah. symptoms. Yeah. I was like, this is so interesting. So when you're talking about the, the nerves and nerves function, so normally nerve cells make serotonin from tryptophan, but say it can say to make it into, Wow. Neuronine, which is a toxin, which means that less serotonin, aka happens in your body, which is less mood regulation. Mm-hmm. So the fact that like when your body is inflamed, your body can't convert tryptophan into serotonin. It gets tra- like uh, converted into a toxin. Right. Which then your liver has to then process. Yeah. And if your liver isn't processing properly, the inflammation is just rampant in your body like constantly. <laughs> There's nothing going right. <laughs> And I just wrote five case studies about this shit. So. And tune in next week for our neurotransmitter episode. Yeah. Yeah, we will be talking about nerves. Yeah. And so when inflammation reduces the amount of serotonin released in the synapses, it is effectively pulling in the opposite direction to SSRIs, which is a possible reason for treatment-resistant depression. Yeah. Which is what he's kind of trying to address of, like, when SSRIs don't work, then what? Yeah, what do we do now? Well, inflammation. Yeah. That's what these studies are, are showing. Yeah. So then chapter six is why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he kind of goes into, um, like, the sources of inflammation, like what could be causing the inflammation that's causing the depression. Mm-hmm. So you could have an inflammatory disease like rheumatoid arthritis. You could, um, it could be body fat, um, because 60% of the cells in adipose tissue are macrophages. Yep. It could be your age, because as we grow older, we tend to get more anxious and depressed. <laughs> Love that for me. Um, it could just be, like, seasonal variation, like, sad. Um, and then the most likely source of the inflammation isn't a physical factor, but more of a social factor, which is stress. Yeah. Well, so, stress promotes inflammation because it stunts your um, that rest and digest response. Yeah. And it draws... It releases cortisol, and cortisol draws sugars into the bloodstream to help you run away from that tiger that's non-existent. And exactly, then it stores as fat, and then it's just a wicked domino effect. <laughs> Literally, choose any of our episodes to understand how we feel about stress. 
<laughs> um, you can roll the dice. Literally, there. just pick one. Um, and so life expectancy with that, um, there's been a study that life expectancy is actually reduced by um, behaviorment, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, emotional stress. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about, like, yeah. there are biomarkers for inflammation um, that he wants to kind of start using to, like... To almost as biomarkers for depression because you can't really do a biomarker for depression mm-hmm. yet. And what was interesting here is that there there are now studies finding that the immune system can remember childhood trauma, mm-hmm. making reactions like more short fused and like ready to fight. Yeah, right, which puts you yeah more on edge and you're not able, you're less able to handle normal life stressors. Yeah, I yeah that was so interesting how he goes into like the immune system has a long term memory, so like it you might. Not think you're holding on to that, but your immune system is. Yeah. And that's why when certain things happen, your body responds in certain ways. Yeah. And then outside of childhood trauma, he there's another study here that a group of happy and healthy school teachers who were satisfied with their work even had raised cytokine levels after public speaking. Oh, yeah. His public speaking study was really interesting. So you can be happy and healthy and you'll still have mm-hmm. the stress response because... Yeah. Spotlight. People are afraid of spotlight. Wasn't there something to do with, um, like, the reaction or, like, the reinforcement they got, like, after the public speaking? Well, or no, it was the happy, healthy teachers who did the public speaking versus the tired, sad yeah. teachers who did the public... Right. Yeah. Right, okay. and so they both had high cytokine levels, but mm-hmm. the main principle of the study was the fact that even the happy, healthy, satisfied with their jobs... Yeah. ...had Can have the inflammation. Levels. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah. um, there's also a discovery that when you talk about like fa- have we touched on facial expressions and I don't think so regard okay there was another study that um discovered that Botox actually has antidepressant effects because you're not allowed to use those facial muscles so you're not really? allowed to like emotionally express those facial muscles which has antidepressant effects that feels backwards yeah that feels like that feels counterintuitive like it feels like by expressing your emotions you should be able to like that should help with them but i guess like if you're scowling or you're like squinting that's a lot why, like you get that headache and it causes inflammation yeah well and that's the whole thing of like um how laughter is contagious and you just have to mm-hmm. smile and if you stare at yourself in the mirror smiling you'll eventually feel happy yeah it's like the visual cues for right emotion interesting i want to get botox in my tmj so that it stops hurting <laughs> But that came from Darwin's idea of grief muscles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, which, yeah, would they cause emotion by expressing in the face? And then that's compatible with the discovery that Botox injections, which paralyze the face, so you're not allowed to use those mm-hmm. expressive, especially in your forehead and eyes and eyebrow area. Yeah. Um, that's where a lot of expression comes from, like fear, shock. Yeah. Happiness is more from, like, the eyes and the and the mouth, but... right. Interesting. Right? Yeah. And then again, he brings up, like, how has depression evolved? Doesn't seem like something we'd want to naturally select to make us fitter and stronger. Um, And then he talks Mm -hmm. about, like, the relationship between depression, stress, and inflammation can be cyclical, and it's very difficult sometimes to break that cycle. It's not necessarily just, like, cause and effect, Mm -hmm. but it can be, like, you're inflamed because you're depressed, but... And then you're inflamed because you're stressed, which causes depression, which causes stress, which causes inflammation. It's just like a mm-hmm. fun little merry-go-round. Yeah. 
And so now there's this gene called Ophactomedian 4, um, which is now most associated with depression. Mm-hmm. But before it was associated with depression, it was known to act in, as the gut's inflammatory reaction to bad bacteria. Right? Which brings up the gut-brain <laughs> connection, in my mind, at Literally. Because he, de- he, he references a study that found that, like, 44 genes were strongly associated with depression, yeah. and four of them were the gut inflammatory responses, and yeah. one of those four was this one. Yeah. And so now people with this gene are more likely to be depressed, but also have more resistance to stomach ulcers. <laughs> so you win some, you lose some. I think I have that gene. Yeah. <laughs> literally it's like what the heck but that's kind of him like finding like the biomarkers like now we can look at the genetic code for depression if there is one yeah which is cool so chapter seven is basically the wrap-up so what what's the point of all the book why is he writing it is this willy-nilly or what can we do next Mm -hmm. so as the when the book was written 2018 there's no direct treatment for inflammatory depression yep there's possibility of like vagus nerve stimulation as a treatment because of its associated out- association with the brain and body. Yeah. Um, oh, to touch more on like um, symptoms of like nutrition and, and whatnot in forms of mental. Uh, he talks about like alcoholic cardiomyopathy, which causes anxiety. And so when people like drink to soothe their anxiety, they're actually inflaming it more mm-hmm. because of this concept of like the. The toxins causing inflammation and yeah, and causing that, and this goes back to the whole how systemic low grade inflammation causes um, is one of the number one causes for heart disease. Yeah, and so yeah, just proving that connection. Yeah, that there's a relationship between your mind and your body, and then he kind of goes on to say that like he was kind of forced to abandon his medical practice if he was going to succeed as a psychiatrist. So like. Mm-hmm. reinforcing that divide between modern medicine and like mental illness basically like yeah you cannot have both at the same time which i think is stupid yeah um and then he talks about how like the average life uh span of a patient with a serious mental illness is 10 years less than expected mm-hmm. but it's not solely because of suicide but because they're dying of the physical disorders that are being overlooked due to their mental illness, mm-hmm. which I think is crazy. Yeah. And they're like looking, he's looking at like um, irritable bowel syndrome and intermittent colitis to be likely suspects of inflammatory depression. Again, mm-hmm. with the whole gut brain connection. Yeah. Um, even oral um, periodontitis is a suspect for depression now because it's the inflammation of the gums. Yeah. In your skull. It's so close. Yeah. Um, and you're even seeing that now with um, the negative effects of mouth breathing while you sleep. Mm-hmm. That's why mouth taping has become so popular because all the bacteria and stuff that's just like seeping into your yeah. mouth. Yeah, really. wreaks <laughs> havoc in the body. Yeah. Um, one thing that's <laughs> would just ground my gears was that the doctor, he gives an example of a doctor not prescribing aspirin due to the side effects and, like, they're so harmful because they cause, like, an upset stomach and, like, blah, 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 blah. Um, what about birth control for women where you have an entire fucking page, like, poster board page, yeah. double-sided, smallest script you've ever seen with the side effects and problems that could happen. Yeah. And doctors are just handing that out willy-nilly. Yeah. They've got, like, no issues being like, okay, well, this could cause blood clots. This could cause depression. This could cause... 
XYZ. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. Like No, I agree. And and to back him up, like with that overuse of like NSAIDs, like non um Yeah. Like like aspirin and ibuprofen does cause digestive upset because it affects mm-hmm. your hydrochloric acid in your stomach. Yeah, like if you take, yeah. what is it? Yeah, it is ibuprofen on an empty stomach. It can cause, mm-hmm. it can eat through your stomach lining. But overuse of that too also just depletes your HCL levels yeah. if you're not supplementing it and with diet. And most people aren't. Yeah, exactly. Right? So when you're having issues of um, uh, like acid reflux, mm-hmm. everyone thinks that it's over, like too much stomach acid. Yeah. It's not the case always. Well, that's like. Not, it's too low. That's probably our boss. He complains all the time about like acid reflux and stuff. He's always taking Tums and Tylenol and Advil and, and all that, that stuff. And that depletes it more because that makes yeah. it lower. Yeah. But if it's already low, you don't need it lower. You need to add like apple cider vinegar mm-hmm. in it to to substitute your hydrochloric acid. But he, they could never, right? Like, but with this whole gut brain. So I understand why they're like so um, hesitant to just like prescribe ibuprofen for inflammatory depression. Yeah. But that being said, they know these side effects. Mm-hmm. Then why aren't we working more with nutritionists, dietitians, yeah, and food, food remedies? Or that's where my brain goes. If you don't yeah. if you don't have a pill for it yet, why aren't we looking at food? Yeah, why aren't we looking at something else? Why aren't we looking at food quality? Where my brain goes with that is like you know the side effects, you don't want to prescribe this. Why are you then prescribing other shit that's worse that has yeah. worse side effects? And you're just like, that's just how it is. We're just, you know, take it or leave it, right? Like, yeah, it sucks to be you, I guess. But like, here, risk your life with this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It gets me heated. He, um, yeah. He then talk- mentions a stat that I found interesting as well. Mm-hmm. That 350 million or seven percent of the world's population had an, um, like a depressive episode in 2012, and a, like a major depressive mm-hmm. disorder, MDD. So that's not just like seasonal depression. That's no, like that's like an actual chronic depression. What is it like? Major depressive disorder. Like, yeah, yeah. Major depressive disorder, which is episode in 2012. Do you think that had anything to do with um, the end of the world of the Mayan calendar? Do you think that played a role in that? Because like, Possibly. why 2012? Yeah, I know that's when the study was done. I guess I'm curious yeah. to know about how much of that population had it in 2020. Yeah. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent of the population. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if not 2020, 2021, 100 percent. Yeah, but. All that is just interesting. And then he mm. kind of wraps up this chapter talking about, like, Alzheimer's and schizophrenia and the history and development of them. Mm-hmm. That was really um, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that the risk of schizophrenia goes up if you're born in the winter months. Yeah, I know. I was like, awesome. And he said <laughs> it's not because of the baleful influence of Sagittarius, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was so funny. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. I was like, okay, so Journey's more likely to be schizophrenic uh, because he's a Sagittarius. <laughs> Obviously, Sagittarius... Son, thank you, Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Edward. No, but overall, this book is just fascinating. I love the concepts. I love the way he talked about them and Mm -hmm. um, the studies associated. And uh, to play devil's advocate, he's showing all the studies for. Of course, there are studies against, right? But yeah, it's the you can find that with literally anything. Yeah, yeah. He does a really good job of like like giving you the studies that can prove his points and stuff. But I found like a lot of the information that he was using the studies against was really old. And I don't know Mm. if that's just because we haven't changed a lot of modern medicine, like the actual like beliefs that it's rooted in. Yeah. Or if that just like helped him like form that or whatever. But no, it was, 
it was really, really, really good because it teaches you the history of science and medicine and depression and inflammation and the immune Mm -hmm. system. And so, like, from someone who is for someone who is like well certified within the medical Mm -hmm. community. Yeah. So if you're interested in, in learning more about gut brain connection and just how everything has come to be as far as what we know for mental health now. Yeah. Highly recommend this book. Yeah, definitely. It's it's if you read any of our books, this one, in my opinion, I love it. It's really scientific, mm-hmm. but it's easily digestible. It's yeah. not like, yeah, there are some words as you know that we can't say <laughs> or I can't say, um, but it's not yeah, unbearable. He's not talking to you like you should already know. No. Freud's history. Yeah, he gives it to you. Like, if there's anything that he needs to talk about in the book, there's, like, a chapter dedicated to explaining what it is. He does a really good job of that. Yeah. And, yeah, if you want to know more about it, yeah, we've got 10 pages of <laughs> of uh, studies in the back. Yeah, literally, which is really neat. Yeah. And, yeah, like, when you go and read them, like, they're actually, like, they're peer-reviewed studies. And they're so, so good. Yeah. So- but... Yeah, so that's The Inflamed Mind, A Radical New Approach to Depression by Edward Bullmore. Yeah. Yeah. And the, like you said, the radical part put me off at first. I was, mm-hmm. like, I was like, okay, what's this going to be? Yeah, it's kind of... But it's really good. It is really good. Yeah, it's radical in the sense of, like... It's challenging yeah. modern medicine. Yeah. Or Western medicine. Yeah. It's giving a new idea that is not accepted widely. Which we should change the definition of modern medicine though if it's that outdated literally though right like and he says so like science evolving but that is that's the same we know this we've got that well yeah i don't understand and he even says like in the next like 5 10 15 years there's going to be more and more studies like this like this is going to be a more and more accepted thing we're five years from when he wrote the book yeah i would argue we are not anywhere near where he thought we would be. No. But I think the pandemic had a large role to play in that. Very much so. But. But the pandemic is also another reason why I'm more fascinated in that, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, again, we're all locked down. How much of it is the world event? Yeah. How much of it is people are eating canned shit foods because they're too scared to go buy fresh produce? Well, yeah. What's your immune system look like before you got sick? Yeah. Like, is that, like, I don't know. It's a hot topic. It is a hot but, topic because it is fresh and people are... It's a radical topic. Sensitive. <laughs> yeah. It's caused such a division, but... I don't know. I just urge everyone to look into the principles of, like, nutritional psychology and psychoneuroimmunology because mm-hmm. it's just so fascinating. And your body is connected in so many other ways. Again, mm-hmm. if inflammation can cause heart disease, yeah, why can't it cause depression? Literally. Excuse me. Like, yeah, like, screw this Cartesian divide. <laughs> they say so many things in here where it's like, yes, you you recognize that this is something that can happen. Why aren't you exploring that? Why don't you want to help your patients? Because it's not like money. Wh- and I don't want to bring that up, but it's it's not money. It's not financially incentive. With rheumatoid arthritis, and he's like, yeah. well, wouldn't you be sad? Like if you had rheumatoid arthritis, it's like, yes, yeah, so look into the studies and do that. But if you come up with a drug that quote-unquote cures rheumatoid arthritis and cures depression or whatever because rheumatoid arthritis is inflammatory as money like rheumatoid arthritis acts up when it's inflammatory Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's like two birds with one stone like you create this drug yes you spend a lot of money doing all the tests and stuff and he does a really good job breaking that down too yeah but it's like 
would you not then make a lot of money from selling that drug? Yeah. Like, if this is all about money, why are we not well, trying to find the drugs that will fix the things? Well, right? argument too here is, right, like, when we have less depressed people in the world, our economy is going to be so much happier because we are actually going to be working and they're not going mm-hmm. to be on welfare. And it benefits everyone literally everyone to have no more depression yeah so why are we not like you're violating your hippocratic oath if you're willfully ignoring the fact that you can do something to fix it yeah anyways i think that's (laughs) before we get a controversial topic we've had but no it just to just to think about it, right? We're not saying it's this, that, or the other, and mm-hmm. flush your antidepressants and screw all that. Like that's no, not the case. There, there are cases where that's what you need. Yeah. There just are cases where that's not what you need, and that's what he's talking about. So it's mm-hmm. we need to be able to have this conversation instead of just being like, "Oh, you're just like some woo-woo homeopathic naturopathic." You're against crackpot. The, you're against the principles of medicine. I'm like, is it medicine science? Well, yeah. Is it science closely hard to prove itself? Uh, like, is it it's... medicine based off of, like, natural substances? Look at the scientific theory. <laughs> Just read it. What's the last point? Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck off. Oh. Anyway, this gets me rather heated, so before I scream <laughs> into this microphone, things I'll regret. <laughs> we should end it. Thank you for tuning in today. Um, I'm Mac Joy. I'm It's Jubes. We are sometimes about slaps on all podcasts. On all podcast streaming platforms. Yes. And social media, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> On you most of up, the platforms. If you type in sometimes to modest laps, that's us. That is us. Um, this has been our book club episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. And if you read the book, let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, we have all of our, the book's information Wow. Information and mm-hmm. our reviews of the book on our website as well. Sometimesforlasslaps.com. Yeah. yeah, we have a book club page where we give like a synopsis, our opinions, our like five star rating and a picture of the cover um, mm-hmm. for all the books we've done. So you we're guys know. Tell you it's five star now from us. We, yeah, we're, this we're, is five stars. We both love it. Yeah. And next month is May. And so May is uh, mental health month. And so for that reason, we're going to be reading like a lighter book and it's just called Good Vibes, Good Life. Mm hmm. So it's, yeah, it's called Good Vibes, Good Life, and it's by Vex King, and it's how how self-love is the key to unlocking your greatness. Mm-hmm. How can you truly learn to love yourself? How can you transform negative emotions into positive ones? Is it possible to find lasting happiness? All right. Well, that's all, and ta-ta for now. See you later. Bye. <laughs>